Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 11. There was a certain man from Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Pinnah, Pinnah whose children, who had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the son, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. Uh, I will wish my own mother a happy Mother's Day by, uh, by delay. She, um, I, I send her a DVD uh, most weeks. She uh, enjoys watching the sermons. I'm not sure why, but she does. So I guess. <laughs> so so uh, yes, um, so happy Mother's Day, mother, uh, and all of you as well. Uh, for Mother's Day, kind of uh, wanted to remind you or see, uh, make sure you saw these on your way in. Uh, this is something we've been doing for a bunch of years here at our church. A lot of churches do it. The uh, LC Clinic here in town uh, hasn't always been here in town. It's a, a new thing. We were able to be a big part of bringing to, to town. It's a, a, a pregnancy support center, uh, helping women uh, keep their babies and raise their babies. And one of their, their effective fundraisers every year is to give churches that are willing to take them a bunch of empty baby bottles and encourage us to take them on Mother's Day and fill them up with coins and bills and uh, 
I don't know, gold nuggets, whatever you want to put in there, I suppose, uh, and, uh, and then bring it back on Father's Day. So it's just a, it's a fundraiser. It's a fun way, especially if you have little kids. It's a fun way to, uh, to support the center. So we encourage you to take one of these or a couple of them if you'd like and uh, keep them at home for the next four or five weeks and bring it back on Father's Day and uh, support the center that way. Uh, we are going to be in that first Samuel passage this morning, so if you'd uh, please pray with me and let's uh, take a look at it together. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for the, the privilege of being your people. Thank you for the joy of gathering together uh, on uh, every Lord's Day. Such a blessing, and uh, it's a blessing on this one to be able to um, give thanks for our mothers in our lives. Uh, imperfect though they may be, they, they are your gift to us, Lord, and we thank you so much for, for them. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand this passage and uh, to apply it to our own lives. Uh, I pray that you'd be working uh, in it and through it, Lord. Your word is powerful and effective and instructs us in so many ways, and we submit to it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody sent me a, a link last week to a live camera feed, and the feed was from the nest of a mother bird. Did you ever see one of these? Kind of a nest cam, and uh, specifically a, a, a red-tailed hawk. So that kind of caught my attention. I've been a little more interested in birds lately, and so I said, ooh, that sounds interesting. And so uh, I, I clicked the link, and, and sure enough, it was uh, like if, if this was the camera, this bird, this red-tailed hawk was there on her nest. It was like right up against her. I don't know what she thought about that, but this nest, this camera had this great view of, uh, of this mother bird. And I don't know what I was expecting when I clinked, clicked the link, but uh, it was boring. It really was. You know, she, was, she was just sitting there, and, and she, she wasn't doing anything. You know, she kind of flicked her head once and again, one now in a while, so you knew she was there, and she was alive. But, um, and and uh, it, was, it was the beginning of my work day, and so I had a, like, email to go through and plan out the day and so on. And so I just kind of dragged this live camera feed over to the side and, you know, see, what, see if anything happens. And I would check once in a while, nope, still just sitting there, still not doing anything. Um, I kind of forgot it was running, and, and then at one point I looked up from some email I was answering, and, and now there was all kinds of action going on. Something had changed in the nest. Uh, this mother bird had moved to the side. It's almost like she was posing for the camera. She, she'd moved to the side, and she was feeding two chicks. So I didn't know if they were chicks or eggs or what, but, but it was two uh, cute little fluff balls. They're going to be ter you know, ferocious predators someday, but now they were these cute little fluffy white chicks. Uh, red tail hawk chicks. And uh, the mother bird was, uh, was feeding them. And I guess I didn't mention this before, but she must have gone to the hawk supermarket that morning because there was a, a I think it was a squirrel um, in the deceased state there in the nest with her. And uh, she was feeding little bits and it wasn't too gruesome. She was she, off camera. She was tearing these little bits off and she was feeding her, her baby birds. And, and again, I don't know what I expected, but now it was hilarious. It really was funny. Um, I've always, I, I, I haven't thought about it much, but I guess I've assumed baby birds just know how to eat. Right? You'd figure it's just instinct. You know, it's what you always see. It opens his mouth, mom feeds him, there you go. But apparently not, because these chicks had no idea. They just were complete, 
klutzes about it. I mean, she kept trying to put the food in their mouth and they'd like move to the side. And one of them had this piece of hay stuck to his beak and it was preventing her from feeding him. And every time she'd reach in to try to knock it away, he'd move. And, and I was just, I, again, I'm probably projecting onto this mother bird, but I thought how frustrating she, that's got to be. What a frustrating situation that's got to be for her. Uh, it's not easy being a mom, uh, even for a mother bird. Uh, today is Mother's Day, and, and Mother's Day, of course, is a time to, to celebrate the joys and the blessings of motherhood. But there are lots and lots of challenges, right? I think of that mother bird. Uh, sometimes being a mom is frustrating. Uh, sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes it's boring, right? You just sit there. Sometimes uh, it involves sacrifices, big sacrifices in many cases. Sometimes it's, it's painful. Sometimes being a mother will, will break your heart. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's not easy. We, on a day we celebrate it, I think it's important to acknowledge it's not easy to be a mom. And so I want to take the opportunity today, I don't do this every Mother's Day, but now and again I like to, I'd like to take the opportunity to talk about mom's best resource for facing the challenges of motherhood. And, and to do that, I want to talk about one of the Bible's most famous uh, mothers. Uh, it's a woman named Hannah. We met her in the passage that Dan read for us a few moments ago. And Hannah shows us, better than most, one of the best resources uh, a woman has for facing the challenges of motherhood, and that one of, those, one of those very best resources is prayer. Prayer is the best resource for facing the challenges of motherhood. But here's the secret. It's not just motherhood. You say, well, I'm not a mom. That's okay. Please listen anyway, because what we're talking about today is the best resource all of us have for facing the challenges in our lives, and it's prayer. And Hannah, as well as anyone in the Bible, shows us how to do that. She shows us how to face those challenges. And so uh, with prayer and through prayer and in prayer. And so we're going to walk through Hannah's story this morning. I won't tell the whole story, but we're going to do the first part of it. And I just want to show how she faced the challenge in her life. It was a motherhood-related challenge, uh, and she faced it by praying. And as I, we go through, I, I just want to show you three attitudes that Hannah models for us, attitudes that all of us need to bring to our own prayer lives. So uh, let's, let's get into the text, and let's look at these three attitudes that we see here. So the first attitude we need to bring to our challenges as we bring our challenges to the Lord is an attitude of dependence dependence on the Lord. That's where it all starts. It all starts with the recognition that we desperately, no matter what our situation is, we need the Lord's help. In the beginning of 1 Samuel, we meet a family, an Israelite family. And uh, this family, just to, for those of us who like timelines, this family lived near the end of the time of the judges. So it's pretty early in Israel's history. Israel doesn't have any king yet. There's no king or anything like that. It's that judges tribal period, so about 3,100 years ago or so. Uh, and uh, maybe this will help a little bit. Hannah's story takes place within a few decades of Ruth and Boaz. So a lot of people like uh, the story of Ruth, and uh, Hannah is probably you know, 20, 30 years maybe after uh, Ruth and Boaz. I think that's actually one of the reasons I was drawn to this story this year, is uh, we're actually going to be studying through Ruth. Uh, if you wonder where are we going next, we finished the first half of Hebrews last week. I'm going to shift gears this summer. I want to, on the Sundays when I'm preaching, I'd like to take you through Ruth. So we're going to be studying Ruth this summer. So Hannah kind of warms us up for that because it's the same time period. In fact, who knows? They may have even known each other. Uh, we, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us they did, but they would have been basically contemporaries. So, so we meet this family. Anyway, we meet this family, this Israelite family. 
And uh, it's not a typical family. It's actually kind of unusual. And then the thing that makes this family unusual is that there are two wives. There are two women married to the same man. And, and I know we get the impression sometimes from reading the scripture that polygamy was common in the Bible, but it, actually it was not. It was actually quite rare. It was unusual, which is one of the reasons we see those stories is because it is unusual, and so it, it gets talked about. Uh, it was unusual for a man to have more than one wife. Uh, and you say, why is that? Why would it be unusual? Well, for one thing, uh, very few men could afford it. Uh, in, in a traditional culture like that, especially, it cost money uh, to, to, add, uh, uh, to have a second wife. It was an expensive proposition. Dowries had to be paid and all the rest of that, uh, which is why, if you think about it, when you look in the scripture, most of the time when someone has more than one wife, that man will be someone powerful. Usually it's going to be like a king or a chieftain, right? Someone like Abraham, for example, some, some wealthy, uh, usually powerful person. That's what you see. And then on top of that, even if you did have the money, there were still only uh, very limited circumstances that allowed it in this, uh, in this ancient culture, in this long time ago. Um, well, I mean, kings can do whatever they wanted. When you see kings have multiple wives, that's just kings being kings. But, and it's really kind of an ungodly thing when you see it most of the time. But, but for normal people, there really was just one exception, and it's the, it's the one Elkanah was facing. It was the one that Elkanah and his wife Hannah were facing. So Elkanah is married. He, he, got, he got married like, like a, a man might do, and he married this uh, wonderful woman named Hannah, and he loved her. She was the woman of his dreams. We're told in verse 5 that he loved her dearly, uh, but this couple, Elkanah and Hannah, as they began to live together as husband and wife over the years, they discovered they had a problem, and the problem was that they could not have children. Hannah was not able to produce a child for, for Elkanah. And in that society, that was a disaster. It was a disaster for Elkanah, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. It's a hard thing to live with in our own culture when couples face this. But, but for Elkanah, this is a, is a disaster. It's a financial disaster. If, if he has no children, especially no sons, then he has no heir. He has no one to kind of work his, do his, his, his work with him in an agrarian culture. Uh, no one to care for him in his old age. It, it's, it's a big, big problem for Elkanah to not have any, uh, any children and especially not to have any sons. Which is why in that culture, and, and again, God works with cultures. We're not saying that this is sanctified. It is just God uh, condescending to work with the brokenness that is humanity. And so in that culture, Elkanah was permitted to take a second wife. And the reason he was to do that is, is that that was the best way they had to correct uh, the, the problem, the problem of not having any children. And so maybe this, maybe this helps, maybe it doesn't, but it, it's, it's their version. It's a 3,000-year-ago version of basically surrogacy or, or infertility treatments. They didn't have those kinds of medicines or those sorts of technologies, and so this was their way of doing it, was to add a second wife if you could afford it. It was uh, their, their treatment, if you will, for infertility. And so that's what Elkanah did. Apparently he was somewhat successful, so he had the means to do it, and he married a woman named uh, Panina. I'm never sure how to say her name. I'm just going to say Panina, Panina. Uh, and uh, his second wife, Panina, she, she does bear children. She, she bears children, and we're not told how many, at least I can't remember that we're told how many she bears, uh, but apparently it's a lot. It's a lot of kids because verse 4 talks about all of her sons and daughters. So she was uh, quite prolific that way. She had several children, sons and daughters alike, for Elkanah. So from Elkanah's perspective, problem solved. Right? This is, this is good. Now he's got uh, children. 
However, this does not help Hannah. This doesn't help Hannah at all. In fact, it actually makes things worse for Hannah, if you think about it. It makes things worse for her because now she's got two big problems. The first problem is the one we've talked about already. She, she cannot conceive. She, she cannot conceive a child. Uh, and if that was hard on a, on a husband in a couple, it was even harder at that time, uh, especially at that time. Maybe it is now too. But, but at that time, it was especially difficult for the wife. Because again, we're talking a traditional uh, culture. Uh, in that traditional culture, her entire identity as a woman is wrapped up in her ability to bear children. For, for her husband. And so she would be viewed by her contemporaries, by her peers, she would be viewed very much as a failure. She, she would be viewed as a failure as a woman. And so that's her first problem that she's living with. And, and to make matters worse, now she's got a relationship problem. Because it turns out Panina is not a nice woman. She's really not. Verses 6 and 7, you, you heard it before, uh, verses 6 and 7 say that she would, uh, she would torment uh, Hannah about her childlessness, right? That's, I think that's the NIV's translation. Um, she would provoke her, it says here in the ESV, uh, provoke her to tears, right? So not just a, a little bit, but really harsh stuff is, is what the text conveys to us. Now, I do want to say here, I just want to stop and, and just think about this since we're looking at this story. Let's just take just a moment and think about it from Panina's perspective. Um, she has her own problems, I think this woman deserves a little bit of sympathy here because this family arrangement must have been very hard for her. It really was. I mean, put yourself in her place. Uh, yes, she has her husband's children, but she does not have her husband's heart. She, she really doesn't. El- Elkanah openly favored Hannah, right? If you try to understand why Panina would treat Hannah this way, uh, Elkanah is openly favoring Hannah. When they go to the big celebrations, he's giving her double what he gives everybody else. He's very clear that she is his favorite. In fact, the text says he loved Hannah. It never says he loved Panina. He didn't love Panina. She, She was just there, to put it really bluntly, she was just there for the babies. And so no wonder... No wonder she's jealous. No wonder she's hurt. I heard somebody say in a a message once that hurt people hurt people. Have you ever heard that? Hurt people, people who are hurt, hurt people. And I think that's what's going on here with Panina. She's living with her own pain and frustration. And unfortunately, what we see in the text is she turns it all on Hannah. And so she'd tease Hannah. She'd make snide comments. She would go on and on in pointed ways about how great it was to have all these kids and, uh, you know, this kind of baiting her, torturing her, tormenting her. Uh, maybe she even gave Hannah a shove now and again. Who knows? We, we don't know. The text doesn't say that, but you know how people are. What we do know is that Hannah is a brokenhearted woman. When we meet her at the beginning of 1 Samuel, she is struggling She's hurting. She's living with all of this pain. She knows, to get to my point now, she knows. There's no pretense here. She knows she needs the Lord. She knows how dependent she is. And that is what drives her to prayer. Right? It is her dependence. She comes to prayer fundamentally with this need that she has. She comes to it with an attitude of dependence. Before we move on to uh, the second attitude, let me just put the question out there. Where do you see your own dependence? today. Where do you see your own dependence on the Lord, whether you're a mother or not, or whatever your situation is? Where, where do you need God to come through? Where are you struggling? Maybe it does have to do with children, 
right? It's Mother's Day. Maybe it has to do with children uh, like Hannah was, right? Maybe it's children you would like to have but don't. Uh, Maybe it's children you do have that are causing you trouble. Maybe it's children that you're missing today. They're not around anymore. Or maybe you're right smack dab in the, in the middle of it. You're in the thick of motherhood, right in the middle of all the stresses and the strains and the difficulties and those challenges of motherhood. And it's not a question about loving your children. Of course you love them. You love them so much. That's not the problem. But it's hard. It's hard. And you know you need him. You know you need the Lord. Or maybe it's something else entirely. It's nothing to do with Mother's Day or the day of the year. It's, it's a a broken relationship, or it's a a financial struggle, or something that's going on at work, or maybe it's something internal. You know, you've been feeling awful about yourself and, and, you know, struggling with self-doubt or something like that. Maybe it's a health crisis that you're facing. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways for us to need the Lord, all right? That's not just a mom thing. That's true for all of us. And so we need to come to the Lord with that recognition. Prayer starts with that attitude of dependence. Number two, the second attitude that Hannah models for us here uh, is an attitude of authenticity. Authenticity or honesty, if you want a simpler word. As we bring our challenges to the Lord, we need to come with an attitude that is honest and genuine and authentic before Him. That's the idea here. We need to trust the Lord enough to be honest and open with Him. And this is what we see with Hannah. Uh, there's, I, I said it before, there's no pretense with this woman. She doesn't put on a brave face. Instead, she goes to the Lord. She gets as close to Him as she can get, physically, in, in, in their understanding of how the covenant worked. She gets as close to the Lord as she can, and she pours out her heart. She pours out her heart to the Lord. Uh, let, let's um, read some text here. Uh, pick up, I want to pick up in verse 9. Thank you, Dan, for reading all those names and all the setup there. Let's pick up in verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. She keeps emphasizing her dependence. I'm your servant. Give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Stop there for now. So uh, Elkanah takes his family on a little road trip. They go from Ramah, where they live, to Shiloh, which is about 15 miles away. And the reason they go to Shiloh is that that's where the tabernacle is. That's where the tabernacle of the Lord was set up at this time in Israel's history. It's not in Jerusalem yet. It's in Shiloh. And so they go there probably to celebrate one of the feasts. In fact, I think it says that. They go to celebrate one of the feasts. Scholars think it was the Feast of Booths because they seem to stay for a little while. So they, anyway, whatever, whichever feast it was, they go uh, down to Shiloh and they're feasting and they're enjoying the, the, the festival in honor of the Lord. And while they're there, Hannah goes off by herself. She goes off by herself to pray, but she doesn't kind of wander away into the wilderness to find some quiet spot. She goes to the tabernacle. She goes to to the place where people go to offer their sacrifices and meet with God. And she goes to pray. She goes to the tabernacle by herself to pray. The first thing we're told about her prayer is that it's deeply felt. It affects her deeply. Verse 10, she's deeply distressed, weeps bitterly. So no smiley face emojis here. Right? No hashtag mom's life, put the best spin on, the, on it. No, her eyes are red, her nose is running, her cheeks are streaked with tears. She's, again, she's 
honest. She's just laying it out here with the Lord. This is a broken woman laying out her brokenness before the Lord. Uh, We also see her authenticity in the fact that she prays her own prayer. And we would tend to take this for granted because that's how most of us pray. Most of us don't use a lot of written prayers and asking other people to kind of substitute for us. We don't work that way. But at this point in Israel's history, it was actually somewhat unusual for a common person like Hannah to do what she does. It's somewhat unusual just the way the whole covenantal system, uh, the whole tabernacle system is set up. Uh, Did you notice in verse 9 how Eli is sitting by the door of of the tabernacle? And uh, he's the priest. He's actually the high priest. He's a pretty old man at this point, but he's, he's, the, he's still the guy in charge. He's the high priest. And the reason he's there, or one of the reasons he's there, is to offer prayers on behalf of the people. And he actually had delegated the sacrifices, which is also his job. He seems to have delegated that to his sons, who were a couple of lousy guys and not doing a very good job of it. But, but his, he's there to pray for people. And so uh, people would come to the tabernacle, they'd bring their sacrifice, they'd probably bring some kind of a financial offering for the, for the upkeep of the tabernacle, and then they would have the professional prayer, Eli, pray to God for them, like an intermediary, a go-between. Not Hannah. This is not what Hannah does. Hannah comes, and it's, it's why we're told it. She goes and prays her own prayer. And there's a a real good, simple lesson there for us, which is that we don't have to be. When you're thinking of the struggles and the hard things we face, uh, we don't have to be all fancy and formal and come in with these these and thous and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, We can just go to the Lord, right? We can just go to the Lord. You're very welcome to ask me to pray for you. I love to pray for you, but you don't need me to pray for you. You can just go to the Lord. He invites us to draw near to him that way. And, And Hannah's modeling that for us as well. And then we also see her authenticity in, uh, in just what she actual, actually prays, what she says. Um, I'll, I'll summarize it. She prays, I want a baby. Right? She, she, goes, she says a few more words than that, but that's it. She, she clearly, honestly communicates her need to the Lord. Lord, I want a baby. I want a son. Give me a son. She's also honest about how she's feeling. I just want to, I'm kind of painting a picture here of, of, of how the text brings out the realness, the honesty, the authenticity of this woman as she comes to the Lord with her need. Uh, let, let's keep reading and see what happened. Uh, picking up in verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. So she's kind of praying under her breath. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So Eli confronts Hannah. He thinks she's drunk in public, and so he confronts her, and she corrects him. Right? Again, I love the, the strength of this woman. She's like, no, she's to the high priest, no, I haven't been drinking. I have not been drinking. I'm, I'm and look at her description, I'm troubled in spirit. I'm, I'm praying out of my great vexation and anxiety. You know, a, a different sort of person might have collapsed under the pressure here and said, oh, oh I'm sorry, and, and, and scurried away. No, not Hannah. She, I'm, 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 I'm praying out of my great anxiety and my vexation. She's honest, right? She's, uh, there's no, I've said it before, I'm going to say it one more time. There's no pretense with this woman. She doesn't try to hide anything from from the Lord or even, frankly, for that matter, from from Eli. 
And you need to know today that we are invited by Jesus Christ to approach him the same way. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be real with him. We should be honest with the Lord when we pray. He gives us that permission. More than that, he invites us to do it. And there's nothing to be ashamed about that. All right, so as you think about what you're dealing with, whether it's uh, whatever it is, right, tell it to him. Tell him your, your frustrations and your pains and your hurt and the, the, the physical pain you're in, the emotional struggle you're dealing with. If you're angry, tell him, God, I'm mad. He, he can handle that. He, he, he can, he's, he's more than up to it. Tell him you're angry. If you're depressed, if you're lonely, overwhelmed, exhausted, whatever it is, tell it. Tell it to the Lord. It's like the old hymn says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Uh, this is true for you moms. You know, moms, a lot of times you end up needing to be the strong one in your homes. Right? And, and I get that, right? You've got to be strong for your kids. Sometimes you even got to be strong for your husbands. Uh, and, and sometimes you think that there's no one there for you. Sometimes it feels like that. It feels like there's no one that you can be honest with with your struggles. Get involved in a women's group. That's a great thing to do. That's usually our advice. But God wants you to know that he's even better. He's even better than our best women's ministries. He, you can be honest with him. He wants you to, to, to come to him for your, for your strength, your solace, your comfort, whatever it is you need. Pour out your soul and whatever it is you're dealing with to him, just like Hannah did. Finally, the, the third attitude Hannah models for us in this text uh, is an attitude of surrender. We should bring our challenges to the Lord with an attitude of surrender. Uh, at the end of the day, prayer is not about getting what we want. That's something we often say. Prayer is not, in the end, prayer is not about getting what we want for our lives. It's about getting what God wants for our lives. And I think Hannah understands that. That's why, uh, that's why we see what she, what she does here. And so we need to submit ourselves to the Lord. And, and Hannah brings this sort of an attitude. Let, let, let's look at where we see it. Uh, one way we see her submission to the Lord is in this contrast. There's just a, a textual contrast between Hannah, this humble woman, and Eli, the high priest. You especially see it in the part we're looking at today. You especially see the contrast in verses 12 through 16, the, the paragraph I read a few minutes ago. And so Eli, the high priest of Israel, is so spiritually dull, he doesn't recognize prayer. Right? Even though he's in the tabernacle where people come to pray. Here is this woman praying, and he looks and he goes, oh, she's drunk. He, he does not come off well. Right? If, 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 uh, if this was Eli's resume, if he was trying to get a job as high priest in someone else's uh, place, it, this would not work well for him. He's not, it reflects very poorly uh, on Eli. Hannah, in contrast, her devotion stands out all the more, right? So Eli really emphasizes what a godly woman she is because of his cluelessness. He's spiritually clueless. Meanwhile, here's this woman pouring out her soul, pouring out her heart in this prayer that she makes to the Lord. And so we, we see her in this. She's basically presented to us as a godly woman. And then where we really see the, uh, her submission is in the content of her prayer. And because we've picked up that she's a godly woman, we're not surprised by the content of her prayer, but her prayer is, is basically a prayer of submission. And so she prays, Lord, I am so sold out to you, right? I am so sold out to you. If you give me a son, so again, she's, she's honest with her prayer. I want a son, but then I'm going to surrender that son back to you. I'm going to give him back to you. I will set my son apart, especially for you and your service, to use however you please. 
And that's this whole thing with a razor, the reference to a razor never touching his head. It's, it's not, she's not worried about he's going to have a big beard. It's, it's an idea of um, uh, cutting his hair. So he's, it's, 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 uh, you might be familiar, if you've read these parts of the Old Testament, with what's called a Nazarite vow. It's, one of the, it's a kind of vow somebody can take. It comes from, from the Mosaic law. And that is basically what she's saying here. She is, um, it's the only place in the scripture where I think it happens, well, actually it happens with Samson in a different way, but uh, he, he is put under a Nazarite vow of total dedication to the Lord before he's even conceived. Right? And that's what happens with, with this son that's eventually born. His name will be Samuel. And so her prayer as she puts it there, it is a prayer of surrender. She surrenders herself and she's surrendering her son. She's surrendering both of them to the will of the Lord. Your will be done. That's really what she's, she's putting here in front of God. I like how D.L. Moody once put it. Uh, he described prayer this way. He said, we should spread out our petition before God and then say, thy will, not mine, be done. The sweetest lesson, Moody said, that I have learned in God's school is to let the Lord choose for me. When we pray that way, the way we see Hannah praying here, the Lord takes care of the rest. When we come to him in that spirit of dependence and that spirit of, of submission to his will, he takes it from there. And that's what we see in the, in the rest of this passage. And so I want to read from 17 through 20, and we'll just stop at 20 this morning. Then Eli answered. I imagine he was a little embarrassed. Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The Lord answers. The Lord answers. And the lesson for us is the Lord will answer our prayer. That's the lesson. When we depend on the Lord, when we submit to his will, the Lord will answer us. Sometimes he answers the way we hoped. And that's certainly what happens with Hannah. That's why it's uh, such a, a, a familiar story and a, a, a good story to read. Uh, she prayed for a son, and the Lord gave her a son. Uh, sometimes he answers in a different way, and we've all been there, right? Sometimes uh, he gives us something we did not ask for, or he gives us the opposite of the thing we asked for. We've, we can all think of examples of that and have our own examples of that. That's the case too. But either way, it's okay, right? If we surrender our prayer to the Lord, that's okay because fundamentally what we're doing is we're trusting him, right? And I think that's what you see with Hannah. She trusts him. She trusts him. And I think of that D.L. Moody quote, uh, he knows what's best. He knows. We know that he knows what's best and we know that his will is, is better. It's wiser. It's greater. Than ours. And so it's that attitude of surrender, of submission to his will. It's so important as we come to the Lord in prayer. I want to tell you a little story here. The story is told of, a, of an old man who lived in a hut way up in the mountains. And down below, there was a small village at the base of these mountains. And many years before, he was an older man now, but decades before, when he was very young, he'd been hired by the town council. And they hired him to keep the springs clear. And they even gave him a title. They gave him an official title. They called him the Keeper of the Springs. And as Keeper of the Springs, the man would patrol 
Here's what he did. This was his whole job. He would spend his time going around all the little mountain streams that fed down into the village below and provided its water. And so he'd go through and he'd pull out the dead branches and the leaves that were accumulating and he'd get them out of the water. And when little silt began to collect, he would dig it out so the water would flow better. And occasionally an animal would fall in, a court, you know, like a, a dead animal. He'd fish it out of the water. And basically his job, and he did it well, was to make sure the, the springs were strong and pure and clean. Well, many years passed. And uh, it worked. The town prospered. Uh, the lumber mill, which kind of had one of those water mills, the lumber mill did a good business. The farms had plenty of water. They were productive. Uh, the people were healthy. In fact, the water was given, a lot of people gave the credit to the water, and people began to come from other places to uh, enjoy the water. It was kind of a tourist destination because of their clear and beautiful springs. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But then one year, uh, the town council was drawing up its annual budget, like you do, and uh, one of the newer council members noticed a line item as he was going through. He, he noticed there was a line item for the keeper of the springs. The salary for the keeper of the springs. Who's that, he said? What, what is this person doing? Where, where's, where's his accountability? How do we know he's even up there in the, in doing these things? How do we know this person's even there? And, and besides, we have great streams. Why do we need someone to go around keeping the streams? We have great streams. Everybody knows how great our water is. And, and he argued pretty strongly that they should get rid of the keeper of the springs. And, and he, he won the day. In the end, the fiscally uh, conscious group uh, decided to get rid of the, 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 the to defund the, the keeper of the springs. For a little while, everything was fine. But then gradually, people noticed that uh, the streams weren't flowing quite so fast as they used to. And some noticed that uh, there started to be a brownish tint to some of the water uh, that hadn't been there before. And sometimes, some days, it even kind of had this odor to it. It wasn't really very pleasant. And and the lumber mill started to have problems because there were some days when there, there wasn't enough force to the flow to turn the mill. And so there were days when they had to just shut down the lumber mill till the water ran again. And people began to get sick. Sometimes children would get sick. And the tourists started to complain. I'm not coming back here anymore, they said. The water stinks. The town council realized the mistake they'd made. They convened an emergency meeting and they voted unanimously to reinstate the keeper of the springs. They went up into the hut. They sent a little embassy and they begged the man to come back. Would you please, please, please go back to doing what you were doing? And he did. And sure enough, within a few weeks, the streams ran strong and clear and pure once again. Here's the point. And this is not just for moms. This is for every single one of us. Your prayer life is the keeper of the springs. Now, you could use that story in different ways, but I, I, I think it applies so well to prayer. Your prayer life, your regular devotional prayer life, that whole thing we've talked about today, bringing our needs and our wants and our desires and then submitting our will to the Lord, that's the keeper of the springs. Whatever it is, your marriage, your families, your business, your relationships, prayer keeps the streams clear. So keep praying keep praying. It really is the best resource we have. It's the best resource we have for whatever challenges we face. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for, uh, for Hannah and the example in Scripture. There's so much in this, um, in this account, and uh, we just thank you for this example of faith, this example of humility, this example of prayerfulness, prayerfulness and dependence on you. Uh, I want to ask, Lord, that you'd make all of us, people like her, people who pray, 
uh, with uh, sincerity, with authenticity, with independence on you, submitted to your will. I pray a special blessing on the moms in our church and who maybe are listening to this. I, I remember well, uh, in an adjacent sort of way, how hard that season was and, and how much we need you in that season. And so I pray for the, the moms in our church, whether their children are old or young, uh, that you would strengthen them and give them all the resources that they need as they lean on you. But for all of us, Lord, make us uh, an increasingly prayerful people that we might live out what the scriptures show us in this area. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.